Hello and welcome to The Point of Everything. My name is Ono Sullivan and today's guest on the show is Brian McGlone, one half of Evagabonds with his brother, Dermot McGlone. Brian is currently living in Cork. Dermot is still up in uh, Dublin. They've got their debut album, long-awaited, highly anticipated, self-titled debut album, Ye Vagabonds, coming out on their own Inglenook Records on Friday, October 13th. So I got to talk to Brian about the whole creative process behind that album, uh, the songwriting, how they put it together, how it kind of gestated and they kind of worked on songs and left those songs and came back to them and eventually got this album together it's really really great i got my hands on a on it just before it came out before i talked to brian and i just love it it's a real folk throwback to i don't know what you want you know the 1970s maybe i'm not i'm not 100 sure about that but uh they grew up in carlo they moved to dublin in 2012 and yeah now they're splitting their time between cork and dublin and it sounds like this is just the start of something that's going to be absolutely amazing for them uh they're off to australia i think tomorrow perhaps they're they're going to be performing uh for michael d higgins the irish president in sydney he's on a 24-day tour of australia and new zealand at the moment so after they launch the album in the cobblestone in dublin on the 12th and 13th of october both dates are sold out you'll hear why they're launching it in the cobblestone uh, later on in the podcast they're playing uh marrowbone books in dublin at 3 p.m on friday the 13th and then they're playing carlo on the 14th of october and there is a full tour coming before the end of the year so you can keep your eyes and ears peeled for that it's sure to be something special the album can be ordered on evagabonds.com and just so you know about the interview that i do with brian uh we had a little bit of uh, trouble finding a spot in around cork to do it firstly we were going to a pub which i didn't actually realize closes during the day so that was out we met him there and then we wandered around the city a little bit found what we thought would be a nice quiet beer garden it seemed like the perfect spot to do it this was about half one quarter to two on a on an afternoon a tuesday afternoon i think and thought this was really really nice you'll hear the first part of that and then you might hear some uh, sounds in the background of workers downing their cups of tea and picking up their tools and getting back to work. So we were like, oh, we actually can stay here. So we walked another little bit further up Barrack Street then and we popped into Elizabeth Fort, where I haven't done an interview before. I was there earlier in the summer for Crosstown Drift, listening to some writers read their works, but I haven't interviewed anyone there. So we sat down Brian with his bike just left it there and there was a couple of people coming along, going up the steps and seeing what is one of Cork's like nicest spots sat down there. So you might hear a little, a few cobblestones being, um, they're not cobblestones, there is cobblestones on Barrack Street, but just kind of gravel, people walking down the gravel and thankfully nobody came over and was like, what are you doing? What are you doing here? But uh, yeah, this is uh, Brie McGlone from Ye Vagabonds talking about songwriting, how the band got together and like what a great year they've had and what a great year they're going to have. So thanks a lot for listening and yeah, hope you enjoy the interview. So yeah, sitting here with Brian outside on a 
on a like I hope it doesn't rain but it's Cork it's Ireland in the start of October uh, so it might do so if, if there are light splashes we might try and might try and persevere but uh, one half of you Vagabonds and about 10 days away from releasing your debut album self-titled on Inglebrook Records Inglenook Records In- Inglenook Records sorry yeah. uh, how does it feel? Uh, I tell you now I'm very excited I'm like delighted that this is finally happening that it's all coming together everything just kind of recently um, came together and so now I'm I'm a lot more confident now than I was a few months ago about everything. It's it's nice how everything's just fallen into place. How how are you not confident like just a couple of months ago? Um it's kind of part of the process of releasing something that you you work on these like we've had some of these songs for a long time. Um and we've been working on these recordings since about this time last year we started rehearsing with the band to to arrange and kind of collaborate with these other two musicians to, to make the album. So we did that for about like four months, every every week, meeting up for two days a week kind of to, to work on that. And then, so it's a long process, you know, you put so much work in, but you're kind of just basing it on what you feel is good and what you feel is decent. But then what made me nervous is as soon as I started to take into account that lots of people are watching and listening and it feels like a lot of pressure you know um, so then there's this whole I kind of went from thinking god what are people going to think of this what are they going to think about our song choice what are they going to think about that and also I hear every single detail that's gone into that album because I've been like between all of us who have been part of it we've all listened to that you know, so much. We yeah. know every song so well. Um, I guess, you know the way some people don't think that they're very photogenic. When they see photos of themselves or when you hear your own voice, it can be really yeah. off-putting. It's kind of like that, you know. Well, I never listen to the podcast just because I hate the sound of my own voice yeah. recorded, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, but you're, like, you're well-known as a live band. Is that kind of the feeling-out process that you use for all of the songs? Like, have you played all of them live? Yeah, yeah, that is exactly what we've done. So we we basically, we started recording this album. Like, we started the process of, like, recording demos for this album three years ago, maybe? Two years ago. It was just, uh, yeah, it was September two years ago. We started recording demos in my bedroom with a friend of ours, and it was, like... There are some of the songs that we've recorded for the album are now like you know were ones that we demoed back then so we were going to release that album in 2016 the beginning of 2016 I think if I have that right because we went on what ended up happening was we went and toured with Glenn with Glenn Hansford that time and then we that was in autumn and then in the springtime we were we were like okay now we're going to record the album and then we got asked to go on tour with Villagers and then that kind of that year just ended up being all tours. So we worked on the songs a bunch um, for a few weeks in Ironmore, in up on the island where our family are from, our mothers from there. And so we worked on the songs up there, and then we just like toured them loads. So some of the songs we ended up leaving behind last year because we didn't like them anymore. We realised there were things about them that were that we weren't into, weren't happy with. So yeah. We, 
they've gone through a long process of being played many, many times for loads of people. Well, what kind of stuff don't you like about the songs? Like the fact that they're recorded in the first place and, you know, that that's what they are in, in the first thing. But do all songs kind of go through a process and you've got to be like accepting of everything and like enjoying everything about it or is it is it lyrically that you weren't feeling them the ones that got cut the ones that got cut um yeah we usually go through this process of like we'll we'll write a new song we'll add it into the set for a while because we want to see what it's like we want to road test it a bit um you kind of pick it up and shake it around and see if it rattles you know so it's like if yeah, sometimes the lyrics aren't right. Sometimes the lyrics were written very quickly in one go. And that's often how songs are written anyway. But sometimes a song has to be written slowly, like over a really long time. You know, sometimes it takes like a year to actually realize the bits that make sense now. You know, the bits that you didn't like um, two years ago might seem now, it might seem now that there's an obvious solution for those ones so that that is a process that we go through but sometimes it's just like the choices of songs that we play now we we have a more coherent thing that we've worked on maybe now that we feel like we we feel like we think it's coherent <laughs> and so maybe it's uh maybe it's just that they don't fit in with what we're doing now so even we had rehearsed a whole bunch of songs before recording and we did, we did an album preview gig where we actually played the album live three times um, in a day in, our, in the space that we rehearsed in um, for like 30 people at a time. And after that day, we realized that we didn't like two of the songs. Like we had a hunch that we didn't like them. And then we brought them into the studio and we recorded them anyway, but abandoned two of them in the studio um, so they took a long time for us to realize that we didn't that they just weren't working at all um, but you know you have to put them under the microscope sometimes to see that to see what it is that's actually not right about them right now and maybe in a year or maybe on our next album or maybe a way down the line that we'll figure out what we don't like about those songs and we'll write them and we'll rewrite them and we'll you know have them back like you don't forget about a song it's always there like I mean you have the files in the computer and you can go back whenever is it like a case of just sending them to people that you trust musically and being like what do you think of this what do you think we can do better or like how, how do we make this song like the Vagabond song um, well sometimes we do forget about songs and then Not find really. them again a while <laughs> later yeah um, that is. I don't remember recording this yeah that, that has happened we've got for ages, me and Jeremy used to demo every day um, for like a few hours. We'd just like have a Zoom in my room and we'd just record every day. We'd record loads. And so we we made up songs in like, you know, a number of minutes that we just forgot about. Um, there was, you know, and that's so, that has happened where we've just like been going through demos. And that's kind of like something you do in like the winter when there's like not much going on. You might just like listen through loads of demos sometime and you stick them on when you do like cleaning the house. And uh, and then you do find songs that you've forgotten about um, sometimes. But we've never really shown songs to other people to ask them for advice or opinions. Um, 
that's just not something we've done um, for some reason. Just myself and Jeremy usually will show them to like Nick and Alan. Those are the only two people that have really worked musically with this and like what and given their thoughts and because you know we kind of really trust their opinions. They've been like working with us now on all this music for like a year. Um, uh, so, so how do you and Dermot actually work? Like, do you just kind of write separately and come together with everything and put it all together? More or less, that is often how it has happened. Sometimes one of us has an idea, um, which isn't a song, but it's an idea, um, and then brings it to the other person, and then the other person might hear that idea and take it somewhere else. And then that's when it can become really interesting and like, you know, you can make something out of that. But generally what we have done in the past has been like, one of us will write a song, bring it to the other person, and then the other person might make suggestions of bits here and there. Or, cause you know, I might hear something that could happen musically in one of Dermot's songs. I might hear him play it loads and loads of times as well. Um, before I ever say anything about it. And then I'll say, hey, you know, that bit there, I keep imagining that it will go to this chord here, um, or that the melody will do this, and then he'll try that out. And he might not like it. He might just go back to the way he was doing it. Um, or equally, Dermot has added on chunks of lyrics onto my songs. Loads before. Uh, and, like, on, on the actual album itself, which we will get to. I feel like we're talking about everything that isn't on the album. Yeah. We'll get to the stuff that's on the album. Uh, like, is is it both of your songs, or is it like, oh, that's my song, that's my song, that's my song, that's Dermot's song? Or is, is it like it's, it is fully collaborative? On the album? Yeah. Um, on the album, most of the songs... I think a, a good sh- two-thirds of the songs are ones that Jeremy has written. Um, and then, like, that he wrote the, the kind of the bones of the song of. And then some of them I suggested things to. Some of them, like, my involvement musically might not be, like, it wouldn't be as measurable as it was with Dearman's writing of the, of the actual songs and the bones of them. Um, but then what I would have because we've had them for so long some of them that like the melody would have changed because of the harmony that I've been singing on one of the like one of the songs we've had for like six years so like you know that's that's like almost its own being (laughs) Um, but most of the most of them are just written by Germans there's like two or three of them are written by me and one of them is like definitely a complete collaborative like the second song or third song is definitely a, a collaboration and then I guess writing and arranging wise like the other two members of the band also had like a lot of input on the music that we wrote for the album um, a lot of the ideas musically would have been initially mine and then they would have come up with more of them and then Nick Cooper the, the viola and violin player he kind of did a lot to arrange a lot of the string parts and came up with a lot of the stringy ideas. Right. Yeah. Uh, and so, like, you Vagabonds kind of started, I don't know, was it just, like, you decided, okay, we need a name for this, like, you Vagabonds in 2015, I think? Or 20- 2014. 2014. Yeah. But you had the songs, like, way before that. 
Yeah. Or so, some of the songs. So yeah, we used to be called the brand new Switcheroo uh, when we lived in Carlo and then when we moved the first year that we lived in Dublin we were still called the brand new Switcheroo. That was like a busking name. We didn't take it very seriously. We didn't really take music that seriously. We loved it and it was like our main passion. But we didn't um we didn't kind of we weren't at a level of gigging that we I guess are like have been for a few years when people started to take us more seriously. <laughs> um so what happened was that we were playing with Twin Headed Wolf. We were in Twin Headed Wolf's bigger troupe band. Okay. Um, that went around to a few festivals and did walkabouts and did some big theatrical gigs and we were at Body and Soul in 2014 and we met Miles O'Reilly at his stage at Arbutus Yarns at Body and Soul um, and there was like an open mic on the Saturday night and a friend of ours um, knew Miles and shouted over to Miles and said hey Miles you should get these guys up for a few songs and we ended up playing for ages. We ended up playing for like 45 minutes or an hour or something. And had a great time. I absolutely adored it. It was just like a fire in the middle of the, and everybody sitting on the floor. And like, it's a cool little stage with a yurt behind it. And then after that, Miles got chatting to us and was like, lads, that, he loved it. And he was like, I, I can't wait to chat to you more after the festival. And then, a few weeks later, he sent me a message saying, hey, would you be up for making a video? Um, so he came up to our house and we made two videos. We still didn't have a name at this stage. Recorded Willie Winsbury and Way Up on the Mountain in a day. And then a few days later, he was like, right, I have these videos ready. Have you got a name yet? And then at a party in our kitchen, uh, Dermot said to him, yeah, we've got this name. Eve Vagabonds. He was like, yeah, I love it. It's great. It's perfect. So that was it. That was how we became Eve Vagabonds. And that's, that's effectively why we became a band, like, in a more serious way, or in a more public way, at least. Like, we got a lot more attention after that. I don't know if we can keep going. This is... So we, we've relocated after some work started up at the at the bar that we were at. Um, so we're at Elizabeth Fort now. So we're doing a slight tour of the city, but uh, let's just get straight back into it. Um, Miles O'Reilly seems like he's really integral to the start of the band and like to even now, like he's still making all of your videos. Yeah, Miles is a really important person to us and has been the whole way along. Um, like at the very beginning, he was the one who made the, the kind of beginning of our band happen, I suppose. Um, who first got us all that attention from those videos, which was amazing. And after that, it was almost like we were just we started getting booked for things, but we didn't really know what to do. We didn't know how to how to do that or what people expected of us for a long time. But now, yeah, it's it's gone through all sorts of processes with of like, you know, development. And uh, Miles has kind of been there the whole way. He's a real good friend of ours now, you know. Um, and so then the, these recent videos are fairly full collaborations as well with him. The, the one that we did a few weeks ago, as well as the one that Jeremy is actually working on right now up in Dublin, which is why he can't be here today. Ah. Yeah. Um, you, you mentioned busking earlier. Were you busking in Carlo and then in Dublin as well? We busked in Carlo. I started busking in Carlo when I was like 12 or 13. Um, but I was playing fiddle, playing tunes in the fiddle with a friend of mine. 
And then when I was about 15, um, my friend got grounded. Um, and then he, <laughs> so he wasn't allowed busk anymore. Um, <laughs> so Dermot had just come home. He just dropped out of college and was like at home and kind of at a loose end, didn't know what to do. And I invited him out to busk with me. And so then we busked together for whatever, three years before we moved to Dublin, um, busking in Carlo at the market and on the streets and around the place um, and did pretty well. But then we never really busked in Dublin. Um, we bust a little bit when we first moved up, but it's not re- it's not nearly as good as it is in Carlo. Uh, on Grafton Street, or like Temple Bar and Grafton Street yeah. and any of those places. Yeah, we busked a little bit, but it's just too busy and hectic, and people use amplification, and it's not it's just not right for us like um, to busk in Dublin. It's too busy and big. Is busking like a proper art? Like I, I know Sam Clegg in Clonakilty, like I, I keep saying, you know, I remember him playing with his dad on the streets of Clon, like when he was 10 years old. And you hear of certain bands who started out busking, but it's like, uh, I, I don't really pay that much attention to it. But like, do you, every time that you see a band who's busking, are you like, do you stop and look and admire or critique? Um, I don't always. know. I don't always, well, I I often stop and listen and check them out, but um, I often walk straight past because there are loads of buskers who I'm not that into, but there are lots of buskers that I really am. Um, I love busking and I think it's an amazing thing. It was such an amazing way to to like hone our skills when we started singing together. And as well for me, when I was a kid, just to gain a huge amount of confidence from like, because it's scary, you know, it's like nerve wracking the first few times you go out. Um, But I got used to that very quickly. And so that's one thing it's good for. Another thing it's amazing for is that what I think is so brilliant about it is that you're constantly trying to catch people, constantly trying to catch their attention. Um, So what's funny about it is that it's like the more you actually think about that, the more you're consciously trying to grab people's attention, the less it works. It's more like you have to be somewhere on a mixture of both. You have to be you have to like be trying to catch people's attention, but also just kind of doing it for yourself and just enjoying the buzz of playing what you're doing and being feeling like you're part of the, the city, you're part of the people who are around. That can be great. Um, I. That's my favorite bit of it is just getting that that buzz off playing around people and when the when the coins are flowing <laughs> it's kind of amazing um it's a very liberating thing to be play, to be busking too because everybody who's passing you by has n- no expectations of you at all so if you do catch their attention and you impress them then they, f- for everybody, it feels like really rewarding. It's brilliant. I love busking. It's the best. I still busk all the time. Oh yeah. Yeah. Have you busked in Cork? I busk all the time in Cork. Really? Yeah. Oh wow. Where, yeah. Where's your favourite haunt? Uh, there's a few of them in Cork that I like. Um, most recently, there's like a corner on Oliver Plunkett Street. Um, it's beside. What's that place called? There's like donut shop or something it's Cork. there's donut it's shops more, everywhere I know it's not crazy Vod- not Vodafone no no not that one no I don't actually like that space at all it's way too big beside the Echo Man 
yeah. yeah, no, not there. Uh, it's the next corner down from there, though. Oh, okay. Um, that's a great yeah. spot. And there's another spot I really like up on French Church Street, just opposite Corcahi Roasters. Um, there's another spot down on the corner of Prince's Street and Oliver Plunkett Street. Yeah, I really like busking in Cork. It's wow. great, actually. Um, I've been busking on my own in the past six months. I moved down to West Cork um, on my own, just kind of to get out of Dublin for a while, and then loved it. And would, I just made made a lot of my living for a few months off busking at markets and around. Oh, I did all the circuit of markets around Cork and Cork City and stuff. It was great. Uh, so, what was Carlo like uh, growing up in? Was there much music happening? Carlo was a funny place, um, musically speaking. Like, we were in a choir as kids. It was an amazing choir. Like a church choir? No. Um, no, not a, a religious choir, um, but like a, just like a, a youth choir. Um, and this woman, Mary Amond O'Brien, is an absolute hero, um, such a huge legend, and is a massive force for good in Carlow. She was an Olympic athlete for Ireland when she was in her 20s, and then um, she got into singing, and singing, teaching, and now has just devoted everything to like music education and choral education. And she's an incredible choir teacher and leader and inspirational person. She believes that everybody has a voice and she's never auditioned anyone for her choir. And they are an amazing bunch of singers. They have consistently been an amazing choir since, like, I started in that choir when I was four um, and I finished when I was 18. So, like, that was whatever, five years ago. So she's been nearly going 20 years. 20 nearly 24 so wow. um yeah so she's yeah she's pretty amazing and so that's that's one thing that's amazing about carlo's music <laughs> um there is when we were i learned off a traditional fiddle player called dave sheridan and he is kind of solely responsible for starting a traditional music scene in carlo when he came to carlo like 30 years ago or something um and so there's a decent traditional music scene around the town and around the county and then so I was then part of a traditional group when I was like a teenager all the way through secondary school that he organized it was kind of like the equivalent of the county GAA team only for people who didn't play GAA and played music <laughs> instead um, and you did like one or the other in Carlo yeah exactly <laughs> although some people did play both but anyway yes that's what that was <laughs> And then, apart from that, there's, there was a place called Café Fermenti, um, which was the safe haven and just the, the heart of an amazing community for a few years when we were, when I was a teenager and kind of still in secondary school. And that closed down a few years ago. Um, but that was a venue. We had music nights there. We ran an open mic night there. We met all of our... Carlo scene there really that's kind of how we got to know people on the Carlo music scene there is a bit going on but it's there aren't there's like a there's a lack of a really good venue in Carlo um, the place that we're doing our album launch is called the Pembroke 
uh, Club de Art, um, which is a hilarious and amazing place <laughs> that um, a local businessman opened a few like years ago um, and just reopened. But you know, it's it's a tiny room. It's like Collins without a PA and a bar. They don't have like a license or anything. It's just oh, wow. it's just a room that you can put on gigs in. So Carlo's an interesting place. There were some really cool musicians that came out of Carlo. There's Gala Hutton and Eric Butler. And there's like some, there's an amazing band actually that we've known them since we were really, like they used to come to our open mic in, in the cafe. Um, and Laura Quirk is this girl's name and she's now in a band called Lemoncello. Okay. She's amazing, and Miles has just made some videos of them that are going to be really, really great. Yeah, they're going to yeah, they're going to get them a lot of attention. So yeah, there were some really cool people around Carlo when we were when we were growing up, and some cool heads that were experienced musicians that were kind of like just raising their families and stuff. Then by the time we were teenagers, and they we played in bands with them as well in the cafe and around that scene. They were great. Um, yeah, just a nice kind of blues and rock kind of a scene. It's kind of cool. And did you did you move to Dublin for college, or was it just like I feel like a change of scenery? I feel like Dublin would be good for us. It was kind of both. Um, I moved up to go to college. I did film, film and broadcasting in DIT. Um, so I actually specialised in radio. So. I'd usually oh. be the one holding the microphone. Huh. So you're like <laughs> judging me like I wouldn't wouldn't do that on. <laughs> Excellent miking technique there you've got going on, yeah. Um the Yeah, we used to yes, yeah, so I went to college to do that. Dearman did journalism for a little while, then ended up dropping out. Um that's why we moved up. But also because we needed a change of scenery. Carlo was was brilliant for what was there but it was also very limiting for us and small town, um, the small town mentality, no matter no matter what, it's just like we were still a minority. The, the really great little buzz we had going on was still minority and it was still hard to have like a healthy scene that people can actually kind of feel like they can try out loads of cool things in. It's like, it's too closed, too, too few people really. So it was just great to move to Dublin for that reason. I'm sure that people um, have told me about this, like you guys were doing a like a Sunday session with Lisa O'Neill in Stony Vatter, was it? Quite recently. Uh, I thought that it was a regular thing. Um, we started a session on Mondays in Walsh's of Stony Vatter, oh, okay. um, and Lisa would often come in. Lisa lives up the road from, like around the corner from where... I was living and where Dermot still lives um, in Stony Batter. Um, so, yeah, Lisa would often come in. Lisa's a friend of ours by now. She'd be a good, a good friend. We spent a good bit of time playing and hanging out with her. And um, Yeah, Lisa would often be in there. There's like, I guess we got really lucky with that session. We started it off in the first place because I was, I just moved into a house in Stony Batter. I needed some cash. I kind of wanted to like have a, a session somewhere to like start to fun, like have a little home for a bunch of our friends, um, to musically, so we could have regular sessions. And our uncle worked and works in that pub, 
Stony Batter, Declan. And so we asked in the pub and they knew us anyway. And they said, yeah, sure, let's try it out. And all the musicians I'd originally envisaged coming to the, or envisioned coming to that session never really came. <laughs> it was like it, it turned into a whole other thing of its own that like we met this amazing bunch of musicians and it then just turned out that we kind of s seemed to slot in with something that was happening already in Dublin which had just started happening like the kind of the young uh, a bunch of young people who were really interested in folk music that we hadn't met before and they kind of ended up coming along and being part of the session there so that's how we got to know Lancome and Landless and Skipper's Alley and Oh. All of the heads, we got to know all of them really through there in the cobblestone. Where, the cobblestone, is it in Stony Bat or is it in...? It's the top of Smithfield Square. Oh, okay. Um, I think it's technically Stony Bat yeah. How was touring with Glenn and uh, Villagers back in 2016? All of 2016? 2015, 2015, 2016, yeah. That was mental. Um, touring with Glenn Hansard was the first time that we, that we were out on an international tour like that. Where, where did you go? We started in Bologna in Italy and we finished up in London. So it was all the way across Europe in a week. That was mental. And that was like, as, a, as a, like an introduction to international touring, that was basically like almost the highest level of touring that you can get to, you know? It gets a bit bigger, only a little bit bigger, really. Like, but they had two tour buses um, like a 20-person crew or something. It was a big operation, massive venues the whole way. Um, so, like, we had just been used to, I guess, playing small places. Um, we hadn't really toured much at all on our own before that. We hadn't played any gigs of our own, I don't think, before that either. Um, we had done some gigs in Wales, like, a few months before driving around, playing in like Welsh-speaking places, that was all we'd ever done. And then to just arrive and be playing in these like 2,000-seater auditoriums, um, you know, with like beautiful pianos in our dressing rooms and like, you know, a dressing room rider and then getting on a bus in the evening and um, before you go to bed, there's like, you see there's like a snack left there with your name on it and like, it was ridiculous, we were so spoiled. <laughs> Um, it was the best, it was the best crack. It was an amazingly exciting time. Like just, we played to 10,000 people in five days. Whoa. Yeah, it was crazy. I think we saw at one gig, we sold about 85 CDs, which was crazy. It was an astonishing, like, it was so exciting. It yeah. felt like amazing to be doing that. And just the spontaneity of how Glenn works as well like that's he he lives on spontaneous decisions and ideas and getting an idea throwing it at somebody and seeing if they'll catch it you know that's kind of his his buzz so like we got pulled on stage a few times to join him in songs um it was we had such amazing crack on that tour and miles was with us as well um miles came along for a bunch of those dates and made a little documentary about it for us as well which was unbelievable and then touring with villagers was a great return to reality. It was exactly what we needed. It was like, whereas on the tour with Glenn, everything was sorted out for us. We didn't really have to do anything. 
um, the tour of villagers, we had to make our way around. There was no tour bus. There was no no easy transport. There was no easy accommodation. It was like we had to we had a <clears throat> you know a limited amount of money that we were going to get each night. We had to get the cheapest trains and buses every day. <clears throat> Um, as much as possible we just had to get around as cheaply as possible for two weeks or three weeks we were on that tour um, so that was hectic and stressful at times and very tiring um, like in reality it was very tiring we'd be playing and then leaving the venue maybe getting back to the hotel at like tw- at midnight or one in the morning and then often getting up at five to get the cheapest train that we could get because you know in Germany or somewhere it's a difference from like 27 euro to like 200 euro for a train ticket so um, yeah it was but the venues and the crowds we played to were amazing and getting to see villagers play every night for two weeks was amazing they're brilliant people and so so great to just see the the reality of a working musician like that somebody who's like you know I'm a massive fan of um, I've been following for years, and then just to see the inner workings of a band like that, all of the, all of the real life moments and the reality of, of being that kind of touring musician, that was amazing. That was a really, really good experience. Like, did did all of that touring, like having to, having to get up so early and having to, you know, get the train and the next bus and everything like that, did it make you reassess, like, oh, do we actually want to do it, and or was it like, oh, we definitely want to do it, we definitely want to stick at it. Um, getting back from that tour it took its toll it definitely took its toll and it was so tiring that we did need to take a bunch of space from each other but I don't think we were well I certainly wasn't doubting that I wanted to do it like that's I've never really had any since it's started for us and even since I was a little kid it's just like the only thing I've ever wanted to do and I kind of don't care what the circumstances are or what the conditions are I just want to be doing it somehow you know even if it's busking and wandering or like hitching around the place. Um, but yeah, we we had to like just accept that that's how it is, that like every band starts out like that. Every band has to do that. You have to do your time. You have to cut your teeth kind of like, you know, roughing it, I guess. Getting like doing things as cheaply as possible and stressing yourself out and tiring yourself out before you have like a a tour manager to tell you when to go and like you know somebody to sort out getting all your transport sorted so yeah you you just have to do it but we did we did take a bit of a break after that to work on music again and like just kind of you know feel like a bit you know nurture our creativity rather than just working ourselves too hard it's it's mad that all of this happened like touring with Glenn Hansard and villagers all happened like on the on the back of one EP sort of thing like you'd like there was no album it's usually like album first and then mm. like massive tours and stuff but now you have an album like is it is it kind of not relief but a sense of real accomplishment that you've actually recorded the debut Ye Vagabonds EP um, yeah you know it's funny we didn't exactly get all of those tours on the back of that EP it was more that that EP came out came about because we got invited on tour with Glenn um, what happened with that was that we we started recording demos for the album 
and then Glenn asked us to come on tour and he said lads you have to have something to, to sell <laughs> oh okay right so the first batch of mixes that we got back from our demos we said we'll re-record those songs and that will be our album we'll add in Barbara Ellen and then we'll call it Rosenbrier and we'll just get it and we made it in two days sent it to print three days later um, Dear drew the artwork it was like a very quick turnaround it was very rushed we weren't exactly proud of that for the past two years we we liked it you know we yeah. thought yeah it's nice but like we we saved a lot for the album we like worked a lot on the album we um yeah so the album was a much longer um it's it's been in the making since then you know since 2015 so it does really feel like a huge it is a huge relief to have this album made um, because we just toured for most of 2016 and the end of 2015 we didn't get the chance to work on recording and have a proper stretch to rehearse and um, kind of figure out and arrange the album um, but now we've had a lot of time this year and so we've actually got the next album ready to go we're going to be like recording in November what? yeah so we have a lot of material now that we've just built up from touring um, basically like we would have just been constantly working on songs as we were going along and so now we have enough yeah, we're, we do have a, the next album like is ready to go and it's we've even got a title we've got artwork being like made at the moment and we've wow. got like yeah so that's we are so excited about this whole period now now it feels like it felt like for a couple of years that we were just getting by on some videos and that EP alright now it really feels like we're actually making a mark and we're properly doing something ourselves and you know touring our own and just seeing what happens with that I'm sure it's going to be a whole new um, a whole new wave of momentum I would hope it's going to be a whole new wave of momentum anyway but that's what I've been told by everybody they say that putting out an album is like a completely different step in, in terms of like the band's uh, standing yeah like our growth and yeah like yeah what well it's a statement of what we actually do you know it's very hard if somebody was to listen to the EP like we basically don't play any right. of those songs live yeah. anymore there's one of them that we do um, or two of them but we um, the album is actually a it basically captures our live show with our four piece band so because we recorded it live so I feel like the album is a much better representation of us than the EP was um, and I'm way more proud of the album than I am of the EP that's great <laughs> uh, so the plans now for the rest of the year are just tour 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 you're, you're playing in uh Secondhand bookshop in the Coombe in Dublin, is it? Yeah. Mar Marrowbone, Marrowbone Books on the day of release on the Friday the 13th? We are, yes. Oh, Mar Friday the 13th. Yeah, Friday the 13th. Oh. That's why we wanted to release the album <laughs> on Friday that day. We have to get it done. Yeah, we have to release it on the most unlucky date possible. Um, we are playing... We're going to be playing on... So now, yeah, the original plan was to start it off in the shop in Marrowbone Books. That's owned by two friends of ours. Oh, one of them, okay. one of them is the banjo player in Rue, um, and the other, do you know what band Rue? Uh, I've heard of them. Like two, two of the members of Lancome and Brian who plays banjo, um, and the other is uh, Lily who sings with Landless. Oh, wow. So um, they're great, and the bookshop's really cool. 
And so we'll be playing there at three o'clock and we'll be playing in the cobblestone that evening. The f we decided to go with the cobblestone because it's kind of like our community pub, you know, it's like around the corner from where we've been living. And um, it's, yeah, it's our community spot. That sold out really quickly. So we had it on the 12th because we're playing in Carlo on the 14th. And then we're off to Australia on the 15th. You're playing for Michael D. Higgins. Yes, you've heard this story already. Uh, I, I just know that much. Okay. Yes, we're playing for Michael D. Higgins out in Australia. Um, you know, like he's living up in Dublin. <coughs> could have gotten, a, could have gotten a gig in the arts. He did have us up to the house there in the summer. Right? Yeah, we did. <laughs> had, had tea on the. On yeah, the porch. we did have tea. Yeah, have a cup of tea and a, an old sandwich out in the lawn there. <laughs> Back in, it was the weekend of body and soul. It was mental. We went from. Went from Body and Soul straight to Iris and Uthran on the Sunday and then went back to Body and Soul again. Uh, <laughs> Michael D didn't come, no? No, we did invite him. Yeah, you know, we were going to give him a lift down, but uh, he had to, you know, walk the dog and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> what, are you, what are you doing for him out in Australia? I don't really know very well. Yeah? <laughs> it's, uh, I just, we got invited to do this last week. Um, so it's, yeah, it's kind of an amazing thing. We're, we're getting brought out. He's going to be attending some events out there. He's making a visit there. And so we're going to be playing at some of those events. That's all I know. Wow. Mm. Cool. Cool start to the album cycle. It's going to be an exciting year for Eve Akabans. Yeah. Well, it's the, definitely the rest of this year is going to be interesting. We're, uh, we're going to be from like tomorrow until the 22nd or 23rd of October. We'll basically have no break we've got like loads more things to do we've got a bunch more interviews with people and like little gigs and radio things to do and then we're off to australia and then yeah the whole month of november we'll be working on our second album um before we kind of get into touring again in late november and december cool yeah uh any like one venue or one place that you really want to play in the next year like I don't know, Memphis or something like that. Oh. Uh, any one place that we want to play? Well, that's an interesting question. Um, Put you on the spot now. I guess there are some places I want to play. We want to do a tour of all the islands of Ireland. Oh, okay. That's like, that's one of our dreams. Um... We also, I would love to get to America, just because I've never been over there. I'd like to play there sometime. Um, yeah, I guess in terms of like, you know, the, the kind of pilgrimage type venues for us, a lot of them are, don't exist anymore. We did go and stand outside the, the building where Les Cousins um, Folk Club was in London, in Soho, oh, okay. the last time we were over there. Um, but now it's like a, a weird nightclub or something. We just like stood outside and imagined like Bert Janch and Davy Graham and John Martin and uh, you know all those guys just like standing around smoking fags after the gig, like you know Sandy Denny waiting for a lift and <laughs> <laughs> and Briggs and all those people. So yeah, we uh, I guess a lot of those venues that we would revere are non-existent, but. Someday, who knows? Like a, on that happy note. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the island's all the way. Anyway. <laughs>